Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Welcome to Bring Out the Talent, a podcast featuring learning and development experts discussing innovative approaches and industry insights. Tune in to hear our talent help develop yours. Now here are your hosts, TTA's CEO and President Maria Melfa and Talent Manager Jocelyn Allen. Welcome, everyone. How are you doing today, Jocelyn? Uh, Maria, I'm awesome. I'm glad to be back. I feel like it's been a while on the recording side of things. It's been a minute since we've been together. So I'm happy to see you, my friend. Uh, absolutely. Always happy to be here with you. And we have a lot of fun doing these. We sure do. But even more excited about our guest today, who's joining us from France, even though he is from Wales. But let's get started. A recent Accenture report revealed that 63% of high revenue growth companies embrace the remote and hybrid workforce models, whereas 69% of companies that did not embrace the hybrid workforce model had negative or no growth. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So for those organizations embracing the hybrid workforce models, there has been a growing need to improve the strategies surrounding their teams and how to successfully build better remote teams. Today, we are joined by George Casares, who's the founding director of TeamUp and author of Build Better Teams, Creating Winning Teams in the Digital Age. George has over 20 years of international C-suite team development experience across a variety of industries. His expertise lies in leading team development and executing team leadership coaching programs, providing his clients with science-based, simple, but impactful solutions that result in better team working across the organization. Welcome, George. Hi, Maria. Hi, Jocelyn. Very pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's our pleasure, George. We're very excited to have you. I mean, working in the digital age and everything that's happened the last few years, it's awesome to expand more on how we can be better while we're working in a hybrid workforce and what potential is there. So yeah, we're excited. Like I've got something relevant to say in the current uh, genre, right? right. No. <laughs> That's great news for you, George. I mean, yeah. it's awesome to be relevant, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> my first time in my life I felt relevant. <laughs> We're very excited to bring it to the next level for you. So let's dive right into it. Can you share yeah. with us um, how you came to form your company team up? Yeah, so uh, back in the day, I started... Um, working as a psychologist uh, for a small consultancy in London. They were the very first business and sport psychologist in the UK, working with premiership football clubs. And uh, I joined them straight out of, um, I did a master's in psychology uh, later in my career. Uh, and I was about 30, something like that. And I changed my career. I was actually a, tried to become a professional tennis player. I wasn't very good. Was always interested in sports psychology. I wanted to be a sports psychologist. And I shifted my career later on to do psychology and I joined that company and they were specialists in team development. And learned, I learned a lot, a great deal from them, a company called Sporting Body Mind, a brilliant organization. I then left them and joined a big uh, corporate KPMG consulting 
And then I left them in 2005 and decided I, I wanted just to do uh, team development. And I, I started my business in 2005. And we were doing kind of cultural change and leadership development. And then a few years back, we rebranded the business just to look at teams because that's my, my kind of sweet spot. That's what I really enjoy doing. So I've been, I've been running my own business now since 2005, but really doing team development for, with uh, top level teams in business and, and in sport indeed. Uh, for the last 25 years. That's very interesting because obviously a lot of the principles that go to being a good coach applies in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. As we spoke right before this, you didn't tell me that you worked for the Premier League as a psychologist because as I told you, that's what my son wants to get into. Yeah. (laughs) You sound so great. I was listening to your silky voice, you know. I'm not going to interrupt you in full flow, you know. But no, that's true. I I, I, I know Liverpool, right? I mean, they're fantastic, uh, fantastic team. I know your son loves Liverpool and, and um, you know, you've got to look at the way they, they, they help those players to get the best out of themselves. There's a lot of good psychology. You've got managers who do that brilliantly. And then the, the art of, uh, of teaming really starts at the top, the top, right, with those coaches. And sometimes they employ psychologists and sometimes they don't. You know, the, the current French Open champion in tennis has got a traveling psychologist with her. You know, so it, it, different views on, on, on the relevance of psychology. Most people would agree that psychology is a brilliant sports addition to the team. It really is because it is such a mental game. Mm. It's amazing. Like, I love when you watch, like... Well, you know, being from Boston, we were all Tom Brady fans, right? Yeah. From the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting watching him in a game and not actually looking at the game. So, you know, when he would be sitting there on the sidelines, his head was always down and you could tell that he was like just doing some mental mind work, right. you know, um, but it, it really is interesting. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot of, like, obviously what I do now is involving a, a whole load of uh, psychology. And some of it's taken from sport, some of it isn't. Mm-hmm. Sport's quite different because it's competitive. It can mm-hmm. be quite um, aggressive. Yes. There's a winner and a loser. It's quite simple, really. Organizational teams are much more complex than sports teams, in my view, because they operate in a, in a much more uh, complicated uh, context. And they have to win with each other, not against each other, right? So... Uh, there's a lot more going on in a business team than a sports team. However, the principles of teaming still apply. Many of them still apply. And I bring as much as I can from sport into my business clients as well. Can you tell us more about that? Because I, because I, my wheels are spinning over here about how often we talk about the differences between in being a coach professionally in like the professional world and then being a sports coach. And now we're talking about the psychology and building teams and these, even though they're different, these worlds do kind of cross. They're similar terms. They're inspiring each other. So yeah. what, um, um, tell us so about how that transition coaching is essentially, you know, the applying technique to, to individuals in, in a team or in, or in an individual sport. So coaches bring technical know-how right how do they teach the team to play a certain offense or defense they get very technical Uh, but good coaches also know that technical work isn't enough they have to make them feel a certain way in order to get the best out of them right so the principles of coaching in sport and in business are probably the same i think in in team coaching which is what i do i mean i'm a professional uh i'm a professional tennis coach by qualification 
I'm a professional executive coach, but I'm also more fundamentally now positioning myself and have positioned myself for years and years as a professional team coach. And I would say that, um, you know, that the context is different, but the principles of teaming are still the same, right, in, in, in sport and in business. Um, you're still trying to get the optimum value, the synergy from the component parts. You're still trying to help the team to coordinate where the value lies. Sometimes individualism is fine because the, there's individuals that have to produce the good. So individualism can have a place in, in sports because they, they're so good that they, the team would suffer without them. But then again, there's a time and a place where individualism will cost the team. And um, sometimes coaches make a call as to whether the cost of selfishness and individualism is greater than the benefit that, it's, that it generates. And it's the same in the business world. You have stars of, of, the, of the day and um, they, can, they can be detrimental to the overall effect or they can be uh, additive, you know. And so they, there's a lot of uh, c- c- uh, sort of comparisons we can make between sport and business in that respect. I know off the subject, but on the subject, which is interesting. So just to go back because of the, the sports world and sports psychology. And as I mentioned, you know, my son, so he's actually at University of Michigan right now, majoring in sports analytics. So he would love to be working in like a scouting position or be like, like a money ball type. So it's interesting because that's kind of a collide of the, the quantitative versus the non quantitative personalities because you know that they try to figure out okay who's going to be really really good at something but as we know it's like the the mindset the drive that it's hard to test well it it is but you know what there's an interesting study done and i write about this in my book it's done in the states where they, they they they, they predicted the researchers where a team would finish in the league depending on the on the basis of the talent that they brought into the team right so they did this study between bas- uh, basketball and and baseball right so they looked at the cost of the of the of the people in the team at the beginning of the season and then they forecasted relative to the other teams where those teams would finish based on the notion that individual talents individual expertise was going to determine end of end of season success and in one of those sports they were quite close and in the other sport they were miles away right so they were close in baseball because it's an individual a talent turns up and is is producing its his or her goods fundamentally on their own really their individual um endeavors batting you bat on your own bowling you bowl on your own catching you catch on your own throwing you know so anyway so but but, but of course um basketball right is a, is a lot of interdependence a lot of um gray areas and spaces between people and that was far harder to they didn't get that right at all they were miles away in their prediction so this idea of how do you predict based on talent before you even get into the mental side and how do you measure mental success predicting on talent um, alone is is a is not really a great hasn't got a great scientific basis for accuracy wow that's very interesting. interesting yeah um i love the relevance of your examples too because it's it's something that everybody can relate to, like comparing it, it makes sense. Like when you said, oh, baseball is an individual game. I'm like, it absolutely is. Like there's only one individual person in control of what is being produced. And if the only thing is, is that if you produce junk, then like it gives the rest of the team not a lot to work with. So can you tell us more about your book and the shift into 
you know, what this means for the world we are working in right now, professionally, the hybrid workforce, like there's got to be something that tells us how to do this better hybridly. Yeah. So, so look, so the book was written on a basis of, of I, I was um, looking for a code or sequence that, that I could help teams to help themselves with. Right. So working in a team is, um, you know, or coaching a team is not easy because we call them emergent complex systems. There are people in them with emotions and therefore they're dynamic uh, systems. And so trying to form a root cause of what's what's causing X, what's causing Y, and you can't just point to X, there's going to be lots of um, variables that are affecting it. So for example, if you you and um, and Marie, Maria are, are not, um, you know, necessarily getting along, it might be because, you know, I know you do, by the way, because you've spoken very highly, you know, I'm only joking, but if you two are, you know, kind of, if it's supposed, right, that you two were, you know, uh, having some conflict, right, then you could say, oh, well, you know, maybe that's personality clash. Well, it may be because the reason you're not in, you're in conflict is because you both have a different understanding of what you're meant to be doing in your roles, right? And maybe the reason you've got different understanding of your roles is because, let's say, David, for example, who's part of the team, says, you know, he's managing the whole process of these recordings, says to you, right, right, Justin, your role is to, to be the lead interviewer and, and Maria to come in. And Maria might be, have been told by David, no, Maria, you're the lead interviewer, Justin, you come in. And, and therefore, the conflict has nothing to do with your personalities, it's to do with your understanding of your roles. But maybe David has said that because, uh, because um, he thinks that the purpose of the interview is different to your purpose. So in, in terms of your objective, so everyone has a there's a lot of things going on is what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded way, right? So mm-hmm. I was thinking, how could we break through this sequence, this, this, this myriad of factors? Is there a sort of kind of an easy code that, that leaders and coaches can take to say, okay, this is how I can build a team, right? This, this is a, a way for like a sat-nav, satellite navigation system. I can follow this, this sequence of things, of, of things to do, and I will make the team better. So I thought, well, there's nothing out there that says there is, right? There is no code that's been ever developed. There's lots of efforts, none of, none of which are science-based at all. So I looked at the science with some researchers and uh, read a load of uh, academic papers. I'm talking like thousands and thousands and thousands, did loads of uh, reviews of books and really got into the, the data and discovered actually there is a code. There is a, there is a, a formula, which actually, funnily enough, becomes more relevant or most relevant in two environments, one in the virtual environment and two in extreme environments. Okay, now I, I have a view that today's teams are more extreme than they've ever been, right? You look at regulation, increasing regulation, you look at mental health, you look at um, the pressures on that, you look at diversity, and, and then the, uh, not just in terms of you know the, the, the regulations and the requirements now to have diversity in teams, but also most people are m- members of more than one team, right? They have mate- we have matrix organizations, we have multiple team uh, membership. You look at individualism, right? We're coming in social society, we're coming, coming more selfish. We know this through the, through the data, right? So team, the, the idea of being a community player with a, fa- with, a, with a new kind of social media and everything that's going on with fame is also making teaming much harder. So we are in more extreme times, right? This is even before COVID. I wrote my book before COVID, or I was researching it before COVID. So even before we had virtual teaming, which and also digitalization, just throw that one in as well, right? This is what the title of my book is about digitalization. This incredible pace of change that we're all subjected to because of um, the speed of, of um, development in, in the IT world, right? And we're all transforming. So this, this is making our teaming much more extreming. So I, fixed, so I discovered a code and then I discovered actually the code was more relevant 
in the extreme environment and in the virtual environment. And I discovered that because the data told told me that it wasn't I wasn't just sort of like, OK, I think that's the case. The, the science and the data that I found in the academic papers, which we looked through, they did substantiate quite dramatically that there is a way to there is a direction of travel that is um, that is advised. And that's what my book's about. Very interesting. So you mentioned that most of your research was done pre-COVID. So do you think that based on post-COVID, do you need to do a new update of your book? Or do you think, I mean, probably a lot of the principles are pretty relevant, but what have you seen as some of the biggest changes? I think post-COVID, I mean, you could say from an academic perspective, it would make sense because the, the, the situation's changed. I, I, I personally think it'd be, it would, I'm pretty much sure I'd get an outcome which would be the same as I've got, to be perfectly honest. i tell you why. It's because what COVID has done is it's driven more virtual working, right? That's the principal and hybrid work. And that's the principal effect of, of COVID in our, work, uh, in our workplaces. And the code stacks up in virtual teams, right? So the, so the data supported... This, this, method, this methodology, even before COVID struck. The other thing it supports, of course, post-COVID is, you know, with, a, with, with um, a sense of community now that maybe there wasn't before, that we've, we're struggling. You know, there's other world events like the Ukraine, where people are maybe being more thoughtful about stuff that's greater than just getting my, my paycheck or my job done. It doesn't change anything for me in terms of how teams work. It just makes puts more pressure on certain elements of it. So I, I, I would say that my I'm very confident that um, if I did more research, I think it would be an expensive waste of time on those on that basis alone, right? Sure. On that basis alone, yeah. I'd be very surprised if it produced anything different. You did mention George, as we could see, and I know a lot of our clients are talking about it, and they want more training that will help address mental health and wellness in the workplace. So, what are you seeing, and how could business leaders? better support that so i'm seeing i'm seeing a movement a positive movement in terms of it becoming more acceptable to speak out about mental health the topic of mental health is more acceptable i'm seeing more men take um a, a more of a vulnerable stance in, in admitting and and asking for help and talking about their their issues i'm seeing more media attention i'm seeing more mental health programs occurring in organizations i think the whole mental health agenda has moved forward um, significantly over the last sort of uh, five, 10 years. That being said, a lot of the um, programs and a lot of the attention on it, I think, is simply uh, wallpapering over the real issues, okay? The the, the companies have uh, targets to hit. They have to satisfy their shareholders that they're doing something on it. There's a lot of um, activity that we know doesn't really make much difference. In my view, I mean, mental health, first of all, is an individual phenomenon. Uh, but it's also a team phenomena, funnily enough, right? Because uh, we know from the research that Amy Evanson's done around psychological safety, psychological safety as a phenomena is team-based, not uh, simply or individual-based. In other words, um, if I'm part of a team that is is um, it's not good to speak up, that my my role is is ambiguous, uh, my manager doesn't allow me to voice my opinion or or allow me to influence the agenda. I'm getting bullied and spoken aggressively to and ignored or whatever by my teammates, it's going to affect my mental health, right? So I can bring a certain amount of resilience and personal resilience and all those good things. I might go on a course on personal resilience. 
that's 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 one thing. Does it really make a difference in a team that I've just described? No, it's it's not not particularly. So um, so I'm seeing positive movements. I'm seeing the same features that are causing it. And the answer to the conundrum, in my view, is multifaceted. There's no single answer, but one answer is to, for team leaders to understand more scientifically and more, more with much more intelligence how do you create, how do you build a high-performing team that has as its as its part of its definition of high-performing, highly functional in terms of its mental health as well, right? Mm -hmm. So the two have got to go together. So so for example, we can have a psychologically safe team. Okay, that's great. You know, we can all talk about our feelings. We can all uh, be vulnerable. We can be supportive and we can be empathic. But if I am not clear on my role, if I'm not clear on my objectives or my objectives are impossible or I'm signed up to a way of behaving that no one else has signed up to and they're getting away with it, then all that sort of nice and openness is irrelevant, right? The, the core, the root cause of my health, which is what I found in the research, actually is um, is clarity that's missing, right? So the word clarity is not often talked about when it comes to mental health, right? But if you look at the what causes stress in the workplace, you'll see it's ambiguous, ambiguity, it's lack of clarity, it's not knowing where you stand, right? So it's very much part of mental health and it's part of the code that I, I, I described, the fact that the first part of the team development code is getting clarity on a number of a number of um, agreements and, and um, they, doing that we know helps mental health. All very interesting. And it just, it's, it is obviously such an important area, as we always say, it's not like we leave our brains at home and come to work mm -hmm. with a different brain. So mm -hmm. it is important for employers to address it. And hopefully it's not just employers are doing it because they are concerned of like everything that's going into the great resignation. Well, I better address this because all my people are leaving and it's kind of a one and done program versus yeah, something yeah. that, you know, that needs to be built in. We need to like, make sure that our employees are, are doing okay on a regular basis mm -hmm. and be able to support them on a regular basis. The, the, the focus of, the, of, of mental health, if I just come back to one thing there, I think it's worth saying, the, the, the mistake I think organisations make is that they try to treat mental health like it's an organisational issue, you know, and, and or they put their leaders, you know, in through courses about how do you deal with men. Of course, that's helpful, right, because you have to be able to read the, 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 the tone, empathise and all those good things. But honestly, I think the switch, if you're going to get, the, if organisations are going to get the best mental health records, if they were to focus on the on having amazing teams, so the people, the, the sense of being in a team these days, if it works well, is amazing. If it works badly, is horrendous, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just about the leader, right? It's not just about the leader the relationship to the leader. It's about the team that you're in, and is that team really, really buzzing? And I think if you, if you, if you, if the organisational context or the agenda move from you know big engagement programs, big mental health programs. And actually put the emphasis on on units called teams and said, right, we know leaders and their teams need to really have good mental health in their teams. How do we make how do we make mental health a team phenomena, a team issue? And uh, I think they would get a lot better return on 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 some of the investments they they're making. In, in my view, I think your view makes absolute sense. As you were talking about the difference between addressing it individually, even if you are doing these things in a group setting, right? It, it, how it applies to the team dynamic, I think is 
a really valid call out that like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> like that, that absolutely makes sense for like return on investment and productivity and wellness overall. Like instead of thinking well, you know, like I'm taking care of myself, but how, how are my outside factors that aren't, I can't control as exactly. it applies to my resilience? Affecting yeah, exactly. Me? Exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, cause a lot of the organizational stuff outside of a team, they can't control, right? They don't really control yeah. culture. They don't really control strategy. They don't really control a whole bunch of stuff. So they can control within their own microsystems, how they relate to each other. Right? right. So I think that's the key thing. So there's no surprise, for example, that people are being treated for cancer suffer less pain when they're treated in groups or teams than they are individually. It's no surprise that people lose more weight when they go on team and weight losing programs with teams rather than individuals. It's no surprise that people concentrate more in libraries and in, in places of work if they're next to people who are also concentrating. So these are the contagion, right? These things are contagious. So let's make these contagious elements really sing. And those, the, those contagious elements, we call them teams, right? Organizational teams. Let's make those the kind of the, the centers of our work. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. Brilliant, though. At the same time, George, it is. It's like it's a brilliant thing to say and put it that way. I agree with you 100%. So we're talking so much about different levels of team building, mental health being one. Hybrid teams is a big focus of what your um, code is talking about, right? What can business leaders do to create a positive and engaging culture when some of the team members are in office and then the other ones are work from home? I think the first rule of thumb, whether they're in the office or whether they're at home, I think is um, potentially, in the first instance, a red herring, all right? I think the main issue that that the leader needs to establish is, or question they need to ask themselves is, is my team, does it have uh, clarity and is it on the same page with a number of um, features that, that are important? And if they're not on the same page, it doesn't matter if they're in the office at home or in between three or four days of the week. He, he or she, the team leader, has to establish that the team have a clear sense of purpose in what they're doing, why they're doing it. The goals of the team need to be clearly identified and especially the shared goals. The roles, responsibilities need to be clear. The strategy, the direction needs to be reasonably brought into in terms of where the, how the team is going to achieve its goals. The priorities need to be clear. The agreed ways of working, the, we call them target norms, need to be signed up to, right? So those are six mental, we call them mental models, right? Frameworks of thinking. So whether they're on the same, whether they're hybrid, virtual, or in the office around the table, the first port of call I would say to any virtual or hybrid or intact leader is, are you, is your team clear on those? And if they're not, then go there first. Have the conversations to clarify those, to gain clarity on those very, very important um, elements. And they're often the root cause. All the other stuff around, you know, conversations about how people are feeling and how helpful they are and how vulnerable they are and 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 are they taking decisions in good time they're secondary right and tertiary the first primary element is like i call it getting set right is in the code it's the getting set phase and it that's all about building cognitive trust cognitive based trust is more powerful in extreme teams than the traditional emotional based trust so in an extreme team, like the emergency services or the, the military, where lives are at stake, 
uh, they're not really interested in the first instance on, you know, what we call benevolence and kindness, empathy, support. What they want to know is, do you know your job? Are you going to do it? And are you, are we agreed on, on the plan, right? Those are, and those are essentially cognitive-based elements of trust. My experience is most of the teams I end up working with, whether they're executive teams, whether they're startups or sports teams, that's the first place to go to is, 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 is establishing um, those, those agreements. And, and then only when those are in, in reasonable shape, then we can then look at something else, is my long answer to your short question, uh, Jocelyn. Usually the roles are reversed. My questions are never short. You should hear the other episodes. So <laughs> it was a good answer. It was a great answer. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> so as we wrap up, we've been talking a lot about the secrets of your book, your code, right? Your book is outstanding. Can you tell us a little bit more about it, what people will get out of it and um, where they can get it? So that's very kind of you uh, to say it's outstanding. I think that's, um, always a lovely word to be to be used to describe anything uh so i'm feeling great so look the book is is a different type of um angle on on teaming in, in the 21st century right and and in the current time so there's no code that that's been developed we have outdated modes of of operating with teams we're still forming norming storming at 70 years old right it's too linear other models or famous models that we use are good, they're good, but they're not actually comprehensive enough. There's a lot missing, right, to, to, to some of the other models. So my approach is very simple. The, the, the book, read the book and you'll see that, as I said, you start off with that setting, the clarity from getting set. You then move to the psychological safety element, but you do that second. And this is one of the reasons I'm really pleased to say Amy Edmondson, who we know, right, as the sort of the, the queen of psychological safety, has endorsed my book. I, and she was very comfortable with the fact that psychological safety is a, is a secondary phenomenon in how you build a team, not the primary phenomenon. And I think a lot of people don't get that. Amy gets it. She wrote a book on um, extreme teams, which really sort of emphasized some of that stuff as well. So, so the code is get set, get safe. So I'm a huge, huge believer. You have to have that psychological safety, but only after you get the clarity. And on the back of the safety, there's techniques that I go into how you do that, right? You then are able to get strong, which is the third and final phase of the three developed three phases. And the getting strong is really all about leveraging the um, the benefits of clarity and leveraging the benefits of psychological safety to reach out and extend into experimentation, better conflict resolution, better accountability better um, decision-making, better conflict resolution. So, you know, that's where the, the, the rubber hits the road, right, is that third phase, right? So you have to work to that phase in a team develop, in a developmental sort of program. You can't not do those three things, those, those things, that third phase. You can't wait to be accountable. You can't wait to experiment. But in terms of developing, the book tells you how you go through those phases so that um, you can develop the fundamentals so that you're more likely to do those wonderful things in that third phase. So that's really the reason to buy the book is, is that it's, it's helpful. It's full of um, facts and full of tips and techniques and stories of what you can do to build better teams in the 21st digitalized world. And it's available on Amazon and another um, retailer, Good Books, I think it's called. Yes, it's on Good Books as well. And um, just look up um, Build uh, Better Teams, George Caceres, and um, fill your boots, right? Get, get reading, get learning, get, get better teams. That's why I wrote it, so as many teams as possible can, can enjoy the love and the, 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 the wonderful feelings you get from being in a high-performing team. It's, it's tremendous when you, you, can, you can get that. 
Absolutely. Nothing better than being in a high productive, good team. Yeah. I'm sensing a good production here, right? Between the fact, you know, you know, David, Jocelyn, Marie, you know, Marie, you know, you're kind of, I feel I'm sensing, you know, some good teamworking. It's effortless. You're, you're coming in and there's smiles and, and um, you're pretty relaxed and, you know, showing lots of vulnerability. You know what you're doing. You've got your questions. So um, I'm sensing in this, in this team here, right? A nice vibe. That's what I'm sensing. Thank you very Thank much. You. We, we certainly try. We've won Boston Best Places to Work the last three years in a row. And we, oh, wow. I have been very consciously crazy about having a great culture here. You know, we've been ah, in business for you. 29 years. And, yeah. and, you know, back in the days, I would focus more like only on performance and not the, the fit and how they fit in to the team. And now it's like, you know, it's a combination of, you know, performance and, you know, personality. We really, it's so important to make sure, because as we know, you know, there could just be one or two people that have their own agenda and it just doesn't work out. So we're, we're very blessed to have such an incredible team. Like I truly love all my team and I, I, I tell my team sometimes because sometimes I feel like I just want to like talk to them all the time. I'm like, my next company, I'm just going to hire people I don't like. So then I don't want to have to talk to them. <laughs> that wouldn't right. happen. And obviously the team wouldn't be, you know, yeah. successful, but no, we do. Right. I'm glad that you noticed it. And, you know, yeah. so. No, it's, I do. It's I, noticed, stuff. I, I mean, I, I noticed the, 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 the signs, right. I noticed the signs of, of, uh, Sense of humor is one of them, right? If you've got a good sense of humor and you laugh, that's so important. So I can I, I pick up on these uh, these sort of features of dynamics, and I, I can see see, see it's uh, it's very much alive and kicking in your in your business there. So well done to you. And um, are you hiring? I, I, I'll apply for a job. <laughs> yes, we are absolutely. We actually are. <laughs> we actually we are. But we, <laughs> we do a lot of you know placement of learning and development consultants mm-hmm. and team building and leadership. I mean that's a mm-hmm. big part of our business. So you know we mm-hmm. definitely love to you know speak more on this. But mm-hmm. I appreciate that you called it out though, George, because it is it it comes naturally, but not without effort. Like you do, you have to try to build an inclusive and like productive culture. And Maria is, has like nailed it. Um, it's funny cause, um, we are starting to apply that to the way that we interview in the new age. So like, we've been talking about like making one of the first questions that people have to ask, like, what's your favorite dad joke, like laying on us, you know, it's kind of like out of the blue catching them and just, yeah. but it speaks to who we are. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's exactly yeah. it. No, it's good. It's good. Yes. Like it's, it's great. And well done. You get out, you get out what you put in. Right. I mean, these things don't, you don't just, you don't just uh, get a great team by accident, you know, mm-hmm. it may be unconscious, unconscious competence going on in some teams, but um, most teams, they've got to work bloody hard to get, to get, um, you know, to get the team working really well. And you've got to do the hard yards, right? I mean, um, some of the stuff that you do there, you know, is going to be based on the hard yards of making sure you've got good, um, good clarity of why you exist and what you're trying to achieve and what the vision is and the strategy and, and um, you know how you want to operate together, and your reward mechanisms. You know those sorts of things, and make sure they're all aligned. They're all they're all things that aren't exactly really that much fun to do, right? The fun is, is the next is what you're doing now, right? But that's based on you know 
all those things that are not so obvious, I think. And um, and that's really what I I, I also emphasize, you know, that the hard yards come first. Absolutely. Rocked it, George. Well, thank you very much. Um, it is time for one of my favorite parts of the show, uh, right. the TTA 10. Yeah. It's the TTA 10, 10 final questions for our guest. Right, George. So I was talking to you a little bit about this before we started the show, the TTA 10. It is our fun little segment at the end of the show where I take 10 fun questions. You have 90 seconds to answer them. And if you complete the round of 10 questions in 90 seconds or less, we will celebrate you. And if you don't, we will do something else. All right. <laughs> it is all in the spirit of good fun, getting to know you a little bit better and just adding a little bit of playfulness to the show. So, George, yeah. are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready all for right. this. Yeah. All right, David. But you're going to have to bear with me because it, my screen is freezing from time to time. So um, I might even have like, not 90 seconds, but like, um, 63 seconds, but okay. I'll, do, I'll do my best. <laughs> we'll try. We'll try to get through them quickly. All right, David, okay. give me the countdown when or whatever it is. 90 seconds on the clock, Jocelyn. Beginning now. All right. What TV show do you always recommend for your friend's next binge? Oh my goodness! Um, I probably Succession. What? Which one of the seven dwarves do you most relate to? Happy. What is? Five times two. Ten. Garden gnomes, cute or creepy? Creepy. Beachfront or mountainside? Oh, that's a good question. Um, mountain size. Which planet in our solar system is closest to the sun? Uh, oh, bloody hell. Um, Jupiter. <laughs> What's oh, your... I know it's not Neptune. <laughs> Neptune. <laughs> What's your favorite place that you've ever traveled to? Uh, I love Indonesia, for sure, yeah. If you could have uh, coffee with any living person, who would it be? Um, it would be Roger Federer. Which zoo animal would you most like to have as a pet? Ooh, uh, massive great big hairy tarantula. <laughs> and what is your favorite movie of all time? Uh, life of Brian. <laughs> and we are done. David, the verdict, please. I feel good about this one. Yes. Little problem too. with the solar system, however. <laughs> George's time, one minute, 19 seconds, easily under the threshold of 90 seconds. Woo-hoo! All right, George. Congratulations. You've done it. And, let's hear, let's and therefore, the George. George, you, chap, are a CTA 10 champion. You may shout this news from the top of the London Eye, impress the blokes down at the pub, and amaze all the lads at the pitch. Crikey, now that you have achieved this smashing honor, you will be respected and loved by members of the royal family, Bobbies, prime ministers, and, of course, Hugh Grant, Julie Andrews, and Piers Morgan. The sun will shine brighter for you on the two days a year the sun comes out in the UK. Bangers and mash will taste better. And you will always look on the bright side of life. 
Bob's your uncle, George, you cracking lad. You are a TTA 10 champion. <laughs> for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I feel like a winner. <laughs> I mean, George, you are having a great afternoon here. You are relevant. Yes. You are a champion. And you've given us a lot yes. of amazing information um, about Absolutely. team building today. This was awesome. So it really was. Thank you. Very, very oh, my much. My pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, really enjoy the, um, the the interview and the process and, and and having a nice conversation with you all, all of you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, George. This was a true pleasure. For more information on George Caceres and his book, Build Better Teams, Creating Winning Teams in the Digital Age, visit his website, teamup.com. That's T-E-A-M dash U-P.com. For more information on building winning teams with TTA, visit our website, thetrainingassociates.com. We'll see you later.